All right, everyone, thanks for joining us today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and find chapter 28 and just hold that ready. This is a special day for us here because uh, this is the conclusion of our verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of Matthew called Let's Talk About Jesus. We started this study all the way back in November of 2016. And so it's been almost three and a half years that we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. Now I know that's a little bit deceiving because we took multiple breaks along the way, but still this has been a significant journey. I look back uh, recently at the very first message I preached from the Gospel of Matthew, and this is something that I said on that first weekend. We live in a day when there are a lot of people who don't have very positive feelings about the church. Much of that, at least in my opinion, is unfair. But they do have positive feelings about Jesus. Since that's the case, I think we need to do our best to have a good understanding of who Jesus is, why he came, what he did, and what he offers. We find all of that in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to begin this study that I'm going to call Let's Talk About Jesus, and I'm going to do my best to help you have a better understanding of him than you've ever had before. That's what I said in that first message. And folks, I hope that's been your experience as we have studied through this gospel. I hope that you've learned more about Jesus than you ever knew before. I can say with integrity today that that's certainly been the case for me. But now we find ourselves at the end of the book, at the end of the gospel, and I want to make sure we close this study out in the right way. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take some time to talk to you today about two things, just two things, and I'm going to do it a little bit different than I normally do. Rather than read one passage of scripture at the beginning like we normally do, uh, I'm going to talk to you about two different things, and I'm going to read a couple of different passages related to each of those when uh, we get to them. And so let's just uh, not waste any more time and let's dive in. If you're somebody who likes to take notes, then I want you to write down on whatever you're using for notes. I want you to write down a number one and then write down the words, the deceitfulness of the religious leaders. And I'm going to begin reading in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 11. I'm going to go down through verse 15. So you follow along. While the women were on their way, Some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, just to set that in context, while the women were on their way to tell the disciples what the angel and ultimately Jesus himself told them to tell them, told them to tell the disciples rather, some of the guards who were at the tomb went and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. That's verse 11. Verse 12, when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. We'll stop right there in verse 15. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this first point because the hatred of the religious leaders for Jesus is something that we have established all along the way in this study. These guys hated Jesus so much that there wasn't anything that they weren't willing to do 
to completely destroy him. They've already orchestrated his death, and here we see them trying to preempt the possibility that anyone might believe that he had risen from the dead by bribing the guards to say that Jesus' disciples had come and stolen his body during the night while they were sleeping. They even promised the guards that if word of this got back to the governor, and that's a reference to Pilate, if word of this gets back to the governor, then we're going to protect you. But let's look back at verse 11 for just a moment and talk about one thing. Remember, verse 11 said, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. I just want to remind you of all that was included in that everything that had happened report. It included the reality of an earthquake. It included the reality that the stone that was in front of Jesus' tomb had been rolled away. It included the reality of the appearance of an angel who made an announcement about Jesus being alive. And most important, it included the reality that the tomb of Jesus was empty. But despite this firsthand, unprejudiced testimony from the soldiers, and despite the religious leaders' own awareness that Jesus had said that he would rise again, these guys were completely unfazed. That shouldn't surprise us because they had already had a front row seat to Jesus' unprecedented, miraculous power, and yet because their hearts were so dark and so hard and so filled with sin, they weren't going to believe in him no matter what happened. Their hatred for Jesus was so great that it trumped any evidence provided that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. Even his resurrection from the dead didn't change that. And the lie they gave to the soldiers, as we read in verse 15, is something that is circulated even today. And so here's what I want to tell you, and this is really important in relation to the second thing we're going to talk about here in just a moment there are always going to be people who will not believe in Jesus regardless of the evidence that's presented. You and I need to know that because we need to understand that at the end of the day, when it comes to spreading the message of Jesus, sharing the message of Jesus, all we can do is present the truth about Jesus in as clear and compelling a way as possible but we can't force anyone to believe. No one can force another person to believe in Jesus. And so I just wanted to start off by saying that. And that takes us to the second thing I want to talk about. And this is really where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. If you're writing notes, write down a number two. And then next to that number two, write down the words, the deployment of the disciples, of all disciples. The deployment of the disciples and I've got in parentheses in my notes, of all disciples. And this is going to take us to the very last few verses of Matthew 28. Follow along as I read verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We'll stop right there. And friends, this, of course, is that passage of Scripture that's known as the Great Commission. And I feel compelled today 
to say that you can understand every part of the Gospel of Matthew, but if you fail to understand this closing point, the words of the Great Commission, then you miss the point of the entire book because everything that has happened, everything that Jesus has done culminating in his death and his burial and his resurrection set the stage for these final instructions to the disciples, to his followers, to believers like you and me, to go and make disciples. But the sad truth is, the reality, uh, or excuse me, the sad reality is Far too many Christians give absolutely no thought to this responsibility. Instead, we choose to focus only on our own personal needs. But friends, this can't, it absolutely can't be our plan because there's just too much at stake. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost. Those were his own words in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. And when Jesus left this world, after doing everything that he needed to do to make it possible for us to have a right relationship with God, he passed that mission on to us, the mission of seeking and saving the lost. This then becomes the supreme mission of the church. This becomes the supreme mission of the church seeking and saving the lost. And remember, the church is not a building, it's not a campus, it's not a geographic location. It's you and me, it's believers together. It's people who follow Jesus. That's something that we are probably more aware of in this moment than at any other moment in our lives. We just need to not forget it. I've gone to church my entire life. I'm sure many of you could say the same thing. And I could give you a long list of all the things that I love about the church. I love the fellowship that comes in the church. I love the music and the worship that happens when you gather together as a spiritual community. I especially love that here at Mount Pleasant. I uh, love good preaching and I love good teaching. I love the benevolence and the care that's shown to people who have needs. And I could go on and on and on. And while all of the things I just mentioned are important and all of them should be present in every single body of believers the final instruction jesus gave his disciples was to go and make more disciples in other words the final instruction he gave us was to go and reach the lost this is a mission that all of us have been given by god and so i want to just spend our last time together, our last bit of time together, talking about that on a practical level because I know how difficult and how intimidating it is to many believers to think about the responsibility of sharing their faith or sharing the message of Christ with other people. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to use some selected portions of Matthew chapter 28 from the beginning to the end to show you uh, why or how this can be something that is not as difficult as many of us make it out to be. Let's start by focusing on the word go. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, this is part of the Great Commission, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples. When you look at that in the original language of the New Testament, it's clear that the best understanding is not so much go as it is going. In other words, when Jesus says in verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, he's really saying, therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. And that's an important distinction that we need to understand. 
The significance of that is it takes Jesus' words in the Great Commission and it moves them from being a command to an assumption. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is my expectation for you. This is your instruction, and so this is my expectation for you. As you go through your life, as you live your life, you have the responsibility of reaching lost people. Friends, that's why I absolutely love the One Life initiative that we rolled out here at Mount Pleasant in 2018 and that we have also now introduced into all of our impact campuses. Now, if you're not familiar with what the One Life initiative is, and maybe you're not because I understand uh, every week we have a lot of guests that are visiting with us online and that just, just warms and blesses my heart so much. If you're a guest uh, with us today as we worship, then thank you so much for being a part of this uh, spiritual fellowship in this spiritual community. But if you're a guest and you don't really understand what the One Life Initiative is, let me tell you what that is. The One Life Initiative is simply an outreach plan that we have here at Mount Pleasant and in our impact campuses that gives us the opportunity to live out these words from Jesus, these words that as you go, make disciples, as you go through your life, reach lost people, by simply identifying someone in the circle or the network of our life who is not a Christian, someone who is not living in a right relationship with God, and then being willing to do three things with that person. Number one, develop friendship or develop friendships. Number two, discover stories. And number three, discern next steps. And I really believe in my heart that that's something that anyone, absolutely anyone can do. You don't have to be a Bible college or a seminary trained believer to reach lost people. You just have to be someone who is willing to make room in their life to develop a friendship with someone new. And listen, when you do that, when you develop a friendship with someone that's genuine and real, you're going to discover their story. And when you've developed a friendship with someone and you've discovered their story, you don't have to stress about discerning next steps, about what that means or what that looks like, because you're going to have the kind of relationship that will provide you the opportunity for spiritual conversations, even if it's just a matter of you telling your new friend about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And listen to me really, really close right now, because I'm saying this to every single person, you can trust me in this. I've been watching people come to Christ as a pastor for 40 years. And I can tell you that when you show someone, when you are willing to invest in someone and show them that you genuinely care about them, then they are going to be open to a spiritual conversation with you. And so what I wanna do is show you what a spiritual conversation can look like from the perspective of Matthew chapter 28. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm gonna use the entire chapter, at least some selected portions of the, of the entire chapter to do that and show you, and I'm using this word very deliberately, how easy, how easy it can be to have a spiritual conversation with anyone. 
I got five things I'm going to draw out of the passage for you. Don't let that make you nervous because I'm going to do it really quickly. But if you're continuing to take notes, I want you to write these things down. Here's the first thing I want to tell you from Matthew 28 about how you can have a spiritual conversation with someone. It can be as simple as this. Tell someone what you have seen and heard about Jesus. I'm going to look back in my Bible at Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 and 6. I'm going to read those two verses. This is after Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Uh, this is after there was a violent earthquake. This is after the stone was rolled away from in front of Jesus' tomb. And this is after an angel is seated on that stone. And he is described as having the appearance that's like lightning, his clothes are white as snow. And the guards, as a result, were so afraid, so traumatized by what they saw that Matthew says that they fell down like dead men. Or in other words, they just passed out. And then this is what we read in verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said, Come and see the place where he lay. This is basically what Mary Magdalene and the other Mary saw and heard about Jesus. If you look at the same resurrection account in John's gospel, he tells us a little bit more detail. I'm not exactly sure which of the Marys he was talking about, but he writes in John chapter 20 and verse 2 that after Mary saw the empty tomb, she ran to Peter and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Clearly, even after Mary had that encounter with an angel who said that Jesus was alive, she didn't really know everything that was happening. And so when she spoke those words to Peter, she wasn't making some kind of a bold proclamation of faith. All she was doing was telling him what she had seen, what she had experienced with regard to Jesus. She didn't understand what it meant, at least not in the moment. She would eventually, but in the moment, she didn't know exactly everything that was happening. I want you to listen to me close. None of us have all the answers to every question that someone might ask about Jesus. Not you, not me, not anyone. I've been a Christian for over 50 years, and there are still times when someone will ask me a spiritual question, and I just have to honestly say to them, I don't know. But then I always follow that up by saying, how about you and I try to find that answer together? Sometimes that's all we can do. Do you remember the story in John chapter 9? It begins the chapter where Jesus heals a blind man. Afterwards, religious leaders confront the man who had been healed, and they tell him that Jesus is a sinner. Religious leaders, again, who have always been against Jesus and want to do anything they can to destroy him destroy his witness, his testimony, his character, everything about him. And so they find this man who's been healed, and they tell him that Jesus is a sinner. And then they ask, basically, what do you say about that? What do you have to say about that? What do you say about Jesus? You read through the chapter, and there's some continued back-and-forth conversation. And then finally, that man who was blind, who can now see, says in John 9:25, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know I was blind, but now I see. Listen, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner. 
I don't know what your beef is with Jesus. I don't understand any of the details of that. I don't know what's caused you to be in a position where you're so anti-Jesus. All I know is I woke up this morning blind, and now, because of my experience with Jesus, I can see. Now, I'm sure over the years that man's knowledge and understanding of Jesus grew. But at that point in his life, in that point in his story, all he could do was talk about his experience with Jesus. All he could do was talk about what he had seen after Jesus healed him and what he had heard. And sometimes that's how we have spiritual conversations with people. We just talk about our own experience with Jesus, what we have seen and what we have heard. Now here's my question to you. Is there anyone who can't do that? Any of us can tell our own story about our experience with Jesus. And having a spiritual conversation with somebody can be that simple. Here's the second thing I want you to write down in your notes. The second thing you can do is tell someone what Jesus has promised to do. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary's first encounter with Jesus, or excuse me, first encounter on that Easter morning was not with Jesus. It was with an angel who told them that Jesus was not there, that he had risen from the dead. And then the angel said to these two women, this is Matthew 28, 7, go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And so the angel told them what Jesus had promised to do. Mary then took off to find the disciples and tell them what she had seen and what she had heard. She still wasn't sure about everything that was going on because Matthew even tells us in his, in his account of this that while she was filled with joy, she was also afraid at the same time. But she went to tell the disciples that Jesus had promised, that's the key word here, that he had promised to meet them in Galilee. And sometimes having a spiritual conversation with somebody is as simple as telling them what God has promised to do. Because there's, there's power in promises. There's hope in promises. There's possibility in promises. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone who, somebody who loved you enough to remind you of God's promises in your life when you were struggling? I remember many, many years ago when I had planted a church in Houston, Texas, and I was so young and inexperienced when that happened. I was 23 years old. Sandy and I were engaged at the time, but we hadn't gotten married yet. And I was venturing out to do something that I didn't know how to do that I'd never really and honestly been trained to do. Uh, and uh, I was just doing it because I felt called to do it, because I always wanted to be a preacher. I felt a calling on my heart to be a preacher. And so we started this church, and I ended up being there for about 11 years, and it was a great, great experience. But there was a time uh, early on when I just felt really discouraged, like, you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, and, and, and even worse than that, my lack of experience is holding this church back, and I'm, I'm not where I su I'm supposed to be. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. And I got pretty discouraged, and I started to look around for another opportunity, another ministry opportunity. And I found out about a church in uh, uh, Oklahoma, in Lawton, Oklahoma, that was looking for a youth pastor. Now, friends, I gotta be honest and tell you, and you've heard me say this before, many of you, I never wanted to be a youth pastor. I always just wanted to be a preacher. But I was so discouraged and uh, confused in the moment that I thought, well, maybe that's what I should do. I'm young and I can, I think I can be effective in that role. And so I 
I found out about this church looking for a youth pastor, and I was familiar with who the pastor was there, and I respected him, and so uh, we corresponded, we talked on the phone, and we made arrangements to meet uh, in the airport in Dallas, at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. So we both flew there, and we spent uh, about three or four hours together in the airport. We had a meal together, and we sat and we talked, and he told me all about the church and the ministry and about what they were looking for, and then he said, tell me about you. And so I told him about me, and I told him about um, what I was doing, and uh, he asked me questions, some pointed questions along the way. And then we got to the end of that conversation, and it was about time for us both to go because we were going to catch planes to go back home. And he looked at me, and he said, Chris, he said, here's what I think you should do. He said, I think you should go back and stay exactly where you are and keep doing exactly what you're doing. He said, I'd love to have you come and be my youth pastor. I think you'd be great at that, but I don't think that's what God's plan is for your life. And when you get discouraged and you think that you don't know what to do or that you're standing in the way of your church growing, then you just remember this. Jesus promised in Matthew 16 that he would build his church. So it's not up to you as much as it is up to Jesus. And friends, that was some of the best advice I ever received in my life. And I got back on a plane, I went home, and I stayed where I was. And uh, I look back now, and that was one of the, the best experiences of my life, those 11 years there in that church in uh, that suburb of Houston, Texas, called Sugarland. And I'm so thankful that somebody cared enough about me to remind me of the promise of the scriptures. Sometimes having a spiritual conversation with someone is as easy as telling them what Jesus has promised to do. In a spiritual conversation, in the context of what we're talking about, about how Jesus has promised to forgive their sin, how Jesus has promised to give them a brand new life, how Jesus has promised to live inside of them, and you can go on and on and on. Sometimes having a spiritual conversation is as simple as telling someone what Jesus has promised to do. Let me give you a third one. Sometimes we just tell someone that Jesus offers a second chance. We talked about this a little bit last week. After Jesus uh, rose from the dead and the angel gave that announcement to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and told them that they needed to go and tell the disciples that Jesus wanted to meet them in Galilee, they left. And when they left, they encountered Jesus who said to them, greetings, and they fell down and worshiped him. And in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 10, this is what Jesus said to the two Marys. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And the key word there that Jesus spoke is the word brothers. He said, go and tell my brothers, talking about the disciples. And so Jesus is calling his disciples, the same men who had abandoned him in his darkest hour, who had abandoned him when he needed them the most, including Peter, who had denied him three times. He's calling them his brothers. Why? Because Jesus is giving them a second chance. Friends, that's what Jesus does. That's why he died on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins, so that we could have a second chance. That's why in John chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus says these words. Everybody is familiar with John 3, 16, for when Jesus said, For God so loved the world, and on, but we forget about John 3, 17, when he said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world, to make you feel worse about yourself than you already do. 
He sent me in the world to save the world. Everyone needs to know that God is the God of second chances. And this can be a powerful way to have a spiritual conversation with somebody, especially if they are somebody who feels like they have failed in their life somehow. It's a simple way to have a spiritual conversation with someone that can lead to incredible things of eternal value. Let me give you another one, number four. You can have a spiritual conversation with someone if you tell someone about a life of obedience. Now I'm gonna go a little bit further into the passage. Now we're back into the Great Commission and we look at verses 19 and the very first part of 20. The heart of the Great Commission, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is an absolutely essential part of having a spiritual conversation with someone who is a long way from God, at least at some point. It probably isn't where you start, but at some point you have to have a spiritual conversation about the obedience that Jesus calls us to. Jesus didn't give his life on the cross so that he could have half-hearted, half-committed followers. When you give your life to Christ, it has to be on his terms. That's something that is clear in the Gospels. How many times as we've worked our way through the Gospel of Matthew did we read stories about Jesus allowing people who had an interest in following him to walk away because they weren't willing to meet his terms of complete surrender. We don't help anyone if we tell them about Jesus but we don't include the truth that he calls us to a life of obedience. Let me give you one final spiritual conversation starter. Tell someone that Jesus will always be with you. This is how the Great Commission ends in Matthew chapter 28, the last part of verse 20. Jesus, after he gave his instructions, said to his followers, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let me just tell you something that everyone needs to hear. You need to hear it, I need to hear it, everyone needs to hear it. You're not alone. You'll never be alone. And friends, this can be a big and an important and powerful part of having a spiritual conversation with someone who is a long way from God. Just telling them that when they have a personal relationship with God, when they become a child of God, then they will never, ever be alone. God promises that he will never leave them or forsake them. And so Jesus' final instruction to his followers was, as you go, make disciples of all nations. As you live your life, I want you to be about the business of reaching people who are lost. And friends, that is not nearly as difficult as we sometimes make it out to be. I'm going to close by sharing a story from an article that I read in a 2017 edition of the magazine Christianity Today. The article is called When Evangelism Really Isn't That Hard. It's written by a man named Dr. Jerry Root. He tells about his own personal experience. Talks about having a flight delayed and meeting a woman in the Vienna airport. He said she was wearing a lanyard with a name tag and carrying a clipboard. Obviously, she was taking a survey for the airport. He said, when she came to me, before she could ask me a question, I asked her what her name was. She replied, Allegra. 
And then he said, I went on, Allegra, are you from Vienna? She answered, no, I grew up in southern Austria. With that answer came the permission to ask, what brought you to Vienna? And she said she was a student. That opened the door to more questions. Where did you go to school? What are you studying? After 20 minutes or so, I knew a good deal about Allegra, he writes. I knew her mother abandoned the family to go to Canada with her lover. I knew her father's bitterness was toxic. I learned her brother also attended the University of Vienna, but the two of them were estranged, or estranged rather. When I expressed my sadness for what seemed to be a good deal of estrangement from the people closest to her, she said, honestly, it's far worse than that. She told me she had a boyfriend who went to study art in Florence for six months. Before he left, he asked her to wait for him, and she did. But when he returned just the day before I met Allegra, he told her that he had met somebody better. He didn't say, I met somebody new. I met somebody better in Florence. I knew the deep felt need that Allegra had, and I knew it created the opportunity to tell her about God. And so he writes, after 20 minutes, she had not asked me one question. I said to her, I know you have a survey to fill out, but I have also been sent to tell you something. She wondered if I was a plant put there by the airport to see if she was doing her job. her job. I assured her that it was nothing like that, but I did have something to say to her once she finished her survey questions. So she rushed through the airport survey, then she put down her pen, looked me in the eye, and eagerly asked, what were you supposed to tell me? Knowing that Allegra felt abandoned and betrayed, I said to her, Allegra, the God of the universe knows you and loves you. He would never abandon you and he would never forsake you. And then I said it to her again, Allegra, God loves you. And because sometimes it takes three times before the words sink in, I said it again, Allegra, God loves you. After the third time, she burst into loud sobs. Everyone in the gate area was looking our direction. And through her tears, Allegra blurted out, but I've done so many bad things in my life. And I responded, Allegra, God knows all about it. That's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for all of your sins to bring you forgiveness and to bring you hope. I was explaining the gospel to ears willing to hear and a heart willing to receive. And it all began, friends, with just a simple conversation, with just some simple questions. Jesus said, as you go, I want you to reach lost people. Who do you know today who is a long way from God? Family member? a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker? Who do you know that would be blessed by a friendship that led to the discovery of stories, their story and yours, that led to discerning next steps, which basically means letting God lead you to have a spiritual conversation that just might change their life for all eternity. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died on the cross. This is the power of the resurrection. Anyone's life can be changed. If your life can be changed and my life can be changed, anyone's life can be changed. 
And Jesus wants us to be his messengers. He wants us to be his spokesmen. He wants us to reach lost people. If you're listening to me today and you don't have a right relationship with God, you are a long way from God, you don't have confidence in your life today about your eternal security, then I hope and pray that you won't leave the service today without reaching out to our online host to ask them to help you, to direct you, and to pray for you. I know they'll be willing to do that. Let's live out the Gospel of Matthew by making it a part of our lives as we go to reach lost people. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this time to study your word, and I pray that you would just convict our hearts to live out the words of the Great Commission and to make it a priority to reach lost people. In Jesus' name, amen.